0: Brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell.
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking today about living a suicidal lifestyle. And, uh, you know, sometimes you you have to wonder what is that, but it, it is something that has to do with somebody that is actually subconsciously killing themselves, and yet people are watching them do these things and and, and destroy their life. And they can't really do much about it because the person doesn't want to change. So lifestyle diseases, also they're called the diseases of longevity or diseases of uh, of lifestyle, is is basically linked with the way people live their life. And, and this is commonly caused by uh, eating, overeating, and that's the biggest one, alcohol, drugs, and smoking. Also, how people manage their particular uh, uh, disorders that they may have like if they have a heart disease or if they have cancer or if they have alzheimer's how they actually diabetes how they actually manage it and it's sad to see that because when uh, a lot of these disorders have genetic links to them lifestyle diseases also they're called the diseases of longevity or diseases of uh, of lifestyle is is basically linked with the way people live their life and, and this is commonly caused by uh, eating overeating, and that's the biggest one alcohol, drugs, and smoking. also how people manage their particular uh, uh, disorders that they may have, like if they have a heart disease or if they have cancer or if they have alzheimer's, how they actually uh, diabetes, how they actually manage it and it's sad to see that because when uh, a lot of these disorders have genetic links to them, and so these people will live a life where they self-destruct by, by, you know, over drinking, uh, knowing they have a health problem and not taking care of it. And their kids have to sit there and watch this. And then it turns into a generational thing where not only did the parent do something, but now the kids pick up on that, do that in there, do whatever they did in their life and live a suicidal lifestyle. And it just goes on and on and on. Um, You know, some of the more uh, disorders that can come forward out of just overeating or not taking care of yourself is Alzheimer's disease, arthritis, um, uh, asthma, cancer, chronic liver disease, cirrhosis, you know, chronic uh, um, obstructive pulmonary disease, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, metabolic syndrome, chronic renal failure, osteoporosis, strokes, depression, And once again, obesity. Now, if you're struggling with a mental illness or trying to help someone you love get their mental health back on track, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by seemingly endless array of treatment options. And even more stressful can be figuring out how to cover the costs of trying to manage the therapy and the medications and the hospitalizations around those diseases. But people that have mental illnesses also are plagued with having sometimes suicidal lifestyles where they self defeat and so you know it's easy to tell someone especially if they have an eating uh, disorder to just exercise and, and do that but the deal is is the people that really do take care of themselves and exercise make it a ritual and don't make it a thought based or a mood based uh, thing. They just do it, and they do it consistently, and they don't think about it. They have to do these things to survive, and some people think that exercise is negotiable. Well, it's not. If we're going to live on this planet, we are, we are basically built like animals, and we are meant to, to move, and so the people that are stationary, and that is, once again, a suicidal lifestyle, are going to let their health degrade because our bodies are meant to be moving. They're meant to be Functioning, and now that we're living this sedentary life in an electronic age with social media all over the place, a lot of people don't get that exercise that they need, and then their health deteriorates, and that's very expensive, you know, and it's sad. Uh, Smoking—almost half the people with mental mental illnesses are smokers—and for years, therapists thought a smoking might help take the edge off uh mental health symptoms so they frequently didn't pressure clients to quit but we know better now while while quitting can be challenging and even yield a, a temporary downturn in mental health research has repeatedly shown that quitting smoking yields benefits to mental health often in just a few weeks so when you smoke You basically take a variety of toxins in, and it may be that many of those toxins contribute to mood problems. Moreover, the physical health problems causing smoking, like heart disease, coughing, uh, emphysema, uh, colds, difficulty exercising, and that can lead to mood problems and mental health challenges. So quitting may be one of the best things that someone could do for their mental health. Also, diet. You know, diet is huge. Your diet directly affects your physical health and your physical health can undermine your mental health. So, unhealthy choices such as excess processed foods, sweets, foods with a low nutrient value, they all undermine mental health. And if you want to feel better, then eat better. You know, uh, stuff with healthy fats such as omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids as well as the, the fat found in fruits such as avocados. That boosts brain power and it improves moods. And for those with a sweet tooth, dark chocolate is a much healthier way to indulge than uh, milk chocolate. You know, also physical health. Your your mind and body aren't easily separated. So, if you struggle with physical health conditions, you're in an increased risk of mental health problems. Even something minor as a toothache or a bladder infection can temporarily undermine your ability to manage stress. So, you know, prompt medical care for physical issues is always a wise choice if we don't want to fall into a mental health issue. You know, in some cases, uh, mental health problems may be directly caused by physical health issues. You know, the, the endocrine uh, system disorders, for example, uh, can lead to depression, anxiety, problems with regulating your sleep. Uh, psychiatric drugs aren't aren't working suddenly and consider getting a blood work so you can learn if a medical condition is undermining your mental health now abuse you know an unhealthy family environment that includes any kind of abuse whether physical sexual psychological can make it nearly impossible to achieve good mental health. So the after effects of abuse can linger for years. And some abuse victims experience post-traumatic stress disorder. And if you're being abused, the first step to finding a way out is to get out. And if you have a history of abuse, don't deal with it alone. Seek treatment and move on with your life. You do not want to have toxic people like that in your life. Uh, Social and community activities. Anyone who's ever had a good cry with a friend knows that friendship can make a huge difference in mental health. You know, people that are loners oftentimes have some mental struggles because they don't have a support system to help them. You know, it, it's also very important to have relationships because these relationships and these friendships monitor us and help uh, help keep us centered. They help observe what we may not see because we're in the middle of it. So, it's important in life to have Those kind of uh, uh, relationships so that we don't live a suicidal life. You know, also, uh, if you think about it, meditation and relaxation techniques help us keep in tune with our body and help keep us out of trouble because we reason with ourselves much better. We have to set boundaries for ourselves on things that are bad for us. You know, uh, healthy sleep is another thing that that we have to monitor to not get into a suicidal lifestyle. If you found yourself on the verge of tears or after you struggle uh, to get out of bed after a long night, then you know that your sleep habits affect the way you feel. Most sleep experts recommend between seven to nine hours of sleep per night. But the real key to success isn't just the right amount of sleep. It's a regular sleep schedule. So, by going to bed at the same time each night and getting up around the same time each day, you make it easier for your body to regulate its sleep and wake cycle. It also helps your metabolism. It also helps your mental health. It helps everything. And so, you know, I'm, I'm linking this to mental health because, once again, the people that, that make these choices – to hurt themselves like obesity and alcohol and drugs and diabetes these self-harming people oftentimes have mental health issues also you know death by obesity obesity is a condition and I'm going to focus on this because we struggle with this especially in the United States obesity is a condition of having excess body weight adults with body mass index BMI uh, uh, greater than 25 kilograms but less than 30 kilograms are considered o- overweight. Adults with BMI greater than 30 kilograms are considered obese. When, when an adult is more than 100 pounds overweight or has a BMI greater than 40 kilograms, it's considered morbidly obese. In the United States, 97 million adults are overweight or obese. So being overweight significantly increases the risk of death from hypertension, uh, stroke, type 2 diabetes, osteocorosis, uh, coronary heart disease, gallbladder disease, sleep apnea, respiratory problems, um, edometrial, breast prostate, colon cancers. Also, obesity results in an approximate cost of $117 billion in the United States a year. It has reached epidemic proportions and rates of obesity have gone up from 12 to 20% of the population since 1991. And so this epidemic is not limited to, to adults either. You know, the percentage of young people who are overweight has more than doubled. In the past 20 years, 16% of children and adolescents between 6 and 19 years old are considered overweight. How sad is that? And that's oftentimes because of the example that they're seeing in the very people who created their children. You know, consumption of more food than the body can use, excess alcohol intake, and a sedentary lifestyle is a suicidal life. Waist circumference. You know, if you're going to have a predictor of heart disease or other illnesses, the, the risk increases with a waist measurement over 40 inches in men and over 35 inches in women. So you know, the risk of obesity associated diseases, the combination of your BMI and your waist circumference really informs you of an increased risk of developing a, a obesity associated diseases or conditions. You know, besides being uh, obese or overweight, other risk factors are important to consider. High blood pressure, high LDL cholesterol, which is called the bad cholesterol, low HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, Uh, high triglycerides, high uh, high, uh, blood glucose, which is sugar, family history of premature heart disease and physical inactivity or a sedentary lifestyle, number one smoking, cigarettes and also marijuana. The assessment for obese and overweight people who have two or more risk factors is basically even a a small weight loss such as 10% of your current weight lowers your chance of developing diseases associated with obesity and the other thing is the fatter you get the harder it is to exercise and the harder it is for your muscles and your body to sustain that weight. I mean, if you think about it, you're, you're carrying around potato bags and every 10 pounds is another, five pounds is another potato bag you've strapped to your body. And so what happens is knees go and feet get messed up and, you know, your ability to function becomes horrible. You know, eating disorders, they are a very complex psychopsychologic challenge that require more than simple determination and strong will to get over them. One in every 50 children in the United States will deal with them at some point in their lives. And while eating disorders are generally seen as a form of mental illness, it is important to understand that it's also part of a doorway to our life. It's a, our, It becomes a culture. It becomes a family system. It becomes your whole world. And so eating disorders affect a whole lot of people all over the world. They are not all caused by the same thing, but there's no common Uh, soil in which all eating disorders are are grown. You know, they're quite various. And so here's one. You know, one of the causes and the main cause of of, uh, eating disorders is stress in this world. Stress. It's, you know, to forget that we live in a world filled with chaos, stress, war, violence, economic hardship, and very intense pressures from peers, society, family, work, media, just about everywhere. As humans, we are not always taught how to communicate well, and how to express our feelings, and how to resolve inner and outer conflicts. Many of us as children are astute enough to notice the pain and the intensity of the environment we live in, but we do not have the tools to address it. So, you know, understanding uh, emotional intelligence – is very, very important. And what is emotional intelligence? Well, that's the ability to manage your emotions. And if you think about it, some people have such a primitive emotional vocabulary that it it could be as simple as crying could represent a whole lot of things. Like with a baby, when they cry, they could be tired, they could be hungry, could represent a million things. So, they only have that one emotion to demonstrate because they haven't learned the other emotions. Well, oftentimes, people just don't learn emotional intelligence, which is to have a variety of emotions and learn how to express them without causing chaos. You know, another cause of eating disorders and by the way, you know, stress will kill you. It will kill you. That's what activates the gene that basically turns on your exit strategy from this life. Living in stress is a, su- a suicidal lifestyle. Okay, another cause is a family of origin. You know, if your parents they they have a great effect on you whether or not you develop a deating, eating disorder. The attitudes of parental figures and what they teach their children and how to eat basically is incredibly important to the development of a kid's thought process. So when a parent has an unhealthy uh, relationship with food, they reflect that way of thinking to their child. They can't help but think because the child is stuck there with whatever the parent eats. And for instance, a mother's unhealthy body image and an obsession with calorie counting is easily transferred to the teenage daughter. You know, there's been studies that found that more than 40% of girls who are undertaking a diet were doing so because their mothers told them. Now, if a parent tells their child to diet and lose weight, they're planting the seeds of a negative body image on that child. So when a mother or father treats a child in such a way as to make them feel inferior, there's a significant greater chance of that child developing an eating disorder. Additionally, eating disorders can often be a coping mechanism that young people develop to deal with the stress of their home and the challenges of their relationships with their parents. Uh, oftentimes the parents, and sometimes just the challenge of how they uh, deal with people at school. And it, it is a very, very common problem, but it comes from families. Also, a history of abuse between one and two thirds of girls and women who seek treatment for eating disorders have been victims of sexual or physical abuse in their lives. And some say that their body is rejecting, basically, they're creating an unsexy body, so it will never happen to them again. And so, uh, you know, these traumatic things are extremely, extremely important, because now they develop the defense mechanism, which causes an eating disorder, and that eating disorder builds a body that is very unhealthy, but it's very unsexy. And so, that's how they protect themselves. You know, uh, there's also uh, another cause of eating disorders is your culture. We are, are constantly hit over our heads by the media, the idea of physical perfection. I mean, we, we men and women who are at the peak of physical uh, uh, condition are often the ones that we see out there. And we are told that this is how we should look. But seeing uh, such unattainable perfection nearly everywhere, we look as a profound effect on our self esteem. So our goals become unrealistic and unhealthy. Television, movies, magazines also tell us we must do whatever is in our power to recreate ourselves. In that falsified image. So if we're led to believe that if we're 10 pounds above or our goal weight, it's because we lack the conviction to diet and exercise. And this misguided focus is not good. Having unattainable goals is never a good thing. And so what we want to do is figure out what we will accept in our body, where we feel the most comfortable, and go for that range. Accept your body. Very important. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about eating disorders such as anorexia, bulimia, and we're also going to move on into the other lifestyles that are suicidal. Come back.
0: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856. Or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about living a suicidal lifestyle. And, uh, you know, most of us are taught that our symptoms, diseases, emotional challenges, unwanted habits are, are problems. Number one, and it it's so important to understand what we need to accept as far as our body at this place in life that we are. You know, if we are 50 years old, we are not going to have a 16-year-old body. We're going to have a 50-year-old body that can either look better or okay, or really good, but it may not be perfect. And we don't want to go for perfect. What we want to go for is healthy. Healthy. Having a healthy life and a healthy body with lots more choices than we do when we're unhealthy. You know, uh, we need to look at these emotional challenges like an eating disorder or alcohol disorder or a um, drug problem as an opportunity for growth. It, it helps us. Uh, understand that we can build confidence by overcoming something that is destroying us. And it brings our life to a much higher place and a much better place. And and so, you know, looking at our failures, our suicidal lifestyles, what we want to do is take them on and show our children and the people that we influence that we can tackle big problems. And by doing big, hard things like that, it makes your life easier. Okay, let's talk about anorexia nervosa, and it's a it's a emaciation basically of a person where they just shrink down into thinness, and they uh, have an unwillingness to maintain a normal healthy weight. They have a basically a distorted body image, an intense fear of gaining weight, and a lack of uh, menstruation among girls and women, and extremely disturbed. Uh, eating behavior. Some people with anorexia lose weight by dieting, exercising excessively. Others lose weight by self-induced vomiting and uh, misusing laxatives, uh, diuretics, and enemas. And More characteristics of this include uh, significant weight loss, uh, continual dieting, intense fear of gaining weight, undue influence of body weight or shape, uh, basically a preoccupation with calories and nutrition, and this is what we're trying to do is define what an anorexic person is. Usually, they have brittle hair or nails. They're uh, binging and purging, and they're very compulsive about exercising. Uh, they they uh, usually do not have their menstrual periods, and they uh, they also have a growth of fine hair all over their body, and so they oftentimes have a lot of muscle weakness and uh, 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 severe constipation, they often have low blood pressure, slowed breathing and pulse, drop in uh, body temperature causing the person to feel cold all the time, Uh, they're lethargic and uh, people with anorexia also have uh, coexisting psychiatric and physical illnesses so we as therapists or psychologists if we have to deal with somebody and work with somebody who's anorexic. We also have to work with a medical doctor. We can't just see them on our own because this is also a medical illness, a physical illness and it's a psychiatric illness. And so it's it's very, very hard to treat people with anorexia because they have that distorted body image and they just don't see what everyone else sees and they don't understand that they're killing themselves. And sadly. A lot of people die from anorexia. Also, uh, what is a bulimia nervosa? Well, it's it's characterized by a recurrent and frequent episodes of eating unusually large amounts of food, binge eating, feeling a lack of control over the eating. This is followed by some type of behavior that that basically compensates for the binge eating, such as vomiting, excessive use of laxatives or uh, diuretics, or fasting and then excessive exercise. Usually bulimic behavior is done secretly and uh, the other symptoms include uh, binge eating, uh, purging, strict dieting, fasting, uh, vigorous exercise, vomiting, abusive laxatives, uh, frequent use of the bathroom after meals, uh, reddened fingers, swollen cheeks, uh, self-evaluation that is influenced by the body shape, uh, depression, mood swings. Irregular menstrual periods, dental problems is another one because they don't have the calcium uh, and uh, like a lot of tooth decay. They have heartburn, they have bloating, and they also have a lot of intestinal problems, kidney problems, and severe dehydration uh, because of their disorders. So, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's a horrible disorder and it has to be treated and it is absolutely a suicidal lifestyle. You know, other people are just binge eaters. And, and that is characterized by binge eating episodes during which a person feels a loss of control over their eating. And unlike bulimia, binge eating episodes are not followed by purging and excessive exercise or fasting. As a result, people with a binge eating disorder are often just overweight or obese. And so they, they eat very rapid, they uh, feel uncomfortably full after they eat, and they eat amounts of, even large amounts of food when they're not hungry. And this eating alone, because of embarrassment, causes how much – because how much is eaten, they live a very low self-esteem lifestyle. And so, uh, you know, they're very aware that they overeat, and they eat like a horse, and they eat fast, you know. And the body is not meant to eat fast. It's meant to eat slow and in small bites. And I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, we live a very fast lifestyle, but we want to eat in small bits, you know, Have five meals a day, but make them small. That's going to help you control your issues with eating. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, alcohol and drugs is another big one. Um, Is is there any difference between alcohol and drugs? I mean, we have to ask ourselves that. You know, they're both mind-altering chemicals. Both are addictive. Both can be dangerous. They only differ in their legal status and their social acceptability. Alcohol is legal. Street drugs aren't. Because of this, alcohol is everywhere. It's not only for sale at bars, but it's at restaurants, gas stations, convenience stores, drug stores, all professional sports venues. You can't watch television without seeing at least one beer, wine, or liquor commercial promising alcohol will make the most popular and desirable man or woman at any party. And trust me, drug dealers would kill, probably literally, for the opportunity to advertise their products so publicly. The availability of alcohol is so commonplace that most people don't realize it's a real drug, but alcohol has become socially acceptable way to relax after work, and and people think it's just a harmless stress reliever, but it's not. Uh, If you look at alcohol abuse and alcoholism, alcohol causes 88,000 deaths every year. The National Institute of Alcohol, and and by the way, of that 88,000, and that's a U.S. statistic, 62,000 are men, 22,000 are women. And, uh, you know, it, it, it will shorten your lifespan by 30 years. And that's amazing. If you live as an alcoholic your whole life, there is a good chance you're going to cut 30 years off your life. You know, uh, it, in reality, only 50% of Americans don't drink at all. So, it's the other 50% who keep this multi-billion dollar industry going. And so, the vast majority of alcohol in the United States is consumed by the top 10%, which is heavy drinkers, which basically they drink about 73 drinks per week. That's a staggering staggering statistic. That is amazing. But you have to think about alcohol, And, and it's interesting because alcohol has a very, very deep genetic uh, uh, addiction process in us as human beings. And it's all according to where we, where our families came from. Bottom line is there was no clear, clean water. There was no public, clean water. And so a lot of people got diseases caused by water in the cities and in the wells where they grew up. And so what they did to compensate for that is they turned to alcohol because it's pure it, it's purified by the alcohol and basically it's clean because of the alcohol and it kills all the bacteria. And so what happened is people used wine and, and beer and, and other heavy drinks, whiskey, whatever, as their means of water. And it wasn't until probation, when probation took place in the 20s in the United States, the reason that there was probation is because we now have purified water in our cities. And so up to nineteen twenty. People did not have purified water available to them. And so now they lift, they have in probation, they said, you don't need the bars, you don't need the alcohol uh, because we have purified water. Well, it's not that simple. You know, over 30,000 years, people have been drinking alcohol to basically be their water. And then you turn them over to water and expect them to drink just water. That's not going to happen. And so it has an addictive property in it. And that is the way you feel when you're drunk. It also has a, uh, an addictive property about your diet and what your body needs because of your genetics from your mom and your dad and your family lineage, that they have drank that alcohol for so long that it's in your genes to yearn for that, for whatever that drink was that's been in your family for over 30,000 years. You know, nearly every party you attend, you're going to be offered alcohol. Um, no one would dare... Uh, offer at a party, and at least a social party, meth or cocaine. Now, with normal people, maybe a college party or maybe, a, you know, a drug user. But the thing is, is that alcohol is, is there. And many people have never experienced addiction of any sort. And for these people, it can be very hard to understand and grasp the logic behind drug abuse, but, uh, you know, and alcohol abuse. But with drugs... If you look at drugs, uh, we have to look at what are the thinking patterns in your brain which can distort logic and and irrationality. You have to look at the things that lead people to to drugs and alcohol. People suffering from anxiety, bipolar disorder, depression, or other mental illnesses use drugs and alcohol to ease their suffering. So mental illness, once again is such a burden for some people when they try just about everything to relieve their pain drugs or alcohol can temporarily make this person feel normal again like they remember feeling in the past so mental illness is scary for individual experiencing it so they're afraid to go to the doctor or family member help instead they turn to drugs or alcohol to try to solve the problem on their own Um, people see family members friends role models entertainers using drugs and rationalize that they can too so as teenagers and young adults it's really easy to think that drugs and alcohol can be handled and controlled, especially if they see other people doing it in, uh, on, on television. It can become easy to rationalize. Like, hey, my friend's been doing this for a couple of years and seems to be fine. You know, entertainment, music is full of drug references. And that can add to the rationalization that drug use is okay. So individuals with a family history of drug or alcohol use and abuse are far more likely to develop an addiction than an individual with no family background to addiction. Also, people become bored and they think drugs or or alcohol is gonna help. So modern world is full of new strains and stresses that humans have never experienced in the past. But I will tell you the most stressful thing and the most dangerous thing in this human life is utter boredom, utter boredom. Because people will look for trouble When they're bored, when they have too much time on their hands, people sometimes self-destruct. You know, when people uh, get physically injured and unintentionally get, they, they, they basically can unintentionally get hooked on opiates, that's a very common problem in this world, that when they have pain, they're treated with opiates. So the doctor just keeps throwing opiates at them, trying to get them through the pain, and uh, all it does is it turns them into a monster. These people get so self-consumed and so into themselves, and so moody and so black and white in their thinking. They have a very hard time mixing with society after they get through it. And it's not. And then they have to go through the withdrawal, and that takes a long time. And then eventually they stabilize if they're able to get themselves out of it. But they are so caught up in the opiate that they can barely get out of it. And pain. People will do anything to get out of pain, and what is pain? Suicide. People think of suicide when they're in so much pain that they can't tolerate it, they can't take it, they, can't, they don't think about their kids, they don't think about their family. All they think about is the pain they're in, and so what they do is they turn to a drug or alcohol or some kind of suicidal lifestyle to basically hide themselves from the pain. You know, people... Um, Chase the high once they experience this. And so once they get a taste of alcohol, like an alcoholic, if they taste alcohol again, they're going to start drinking again. That's just no doubt about it. It may, may take time. Maybe they get through once or twice, but they usually get right back into it and bang, they're drinking like crazy. Now, you know, you have to ask somebody about smoking. Why did you start smoking? Every pack of cigarettes has a warning from the Surgeon General Stating that smoking can be harmful to your health. You're not stupid. You understand this. You feel harmful effects every time you cough or have a sore throat. But that still does not stop people from smoking. So why? Because the reasons for smoking are mostly psychological you know, people are seduced to try tobacco by the glamorization of smoking in the movies and in advertisements. Addiction to nicotine makes it hard to quit smoking once you've started, but also the addiction to the dopamine that's in the smoke. Because the dopamine, it, when you take it in, it works like an antidepressant. But when you blow it out, guess what? It's gone. So, you know, it, it's interesting. The high only lasts for when the smoke is in your body. Uh, you need to understand and eliminate you know, the psychological root of the problem, if you're going to uh, stop smoking, you can't just stop smoking and expect not to, not to restart if you don't get rid of the psychological problem. So, why do people use alcohol? To fit in with the crowd, that's the big one, to appear sophisticated or cool, uh, to, to show everybody how grown up they are, uh, and that's why a lot of kids will smoke. Uh, they also assert their independence. And uh, uh, it's a sign of uh, protest, rebellion, defying authority, and, um, you know, it basically influences from people you respect and admire, parents, relatives, if if they smoked, you probably will too. You know, images of actors or movie stars, people that you look up to smoke, well, then you might too. You know, also, uh, players using chewing tobacco, that also creates cancer, you know, tobacco is tobacco. However you take it, it's going to self-destruct you, and you will go down with it. You know, uh, Albert Einstein smoked, and so people look at that and go, well, I'll look smart if I smoke. It's very much of an image thing. You know, Joe Camel, uh, the Camel Cigarette, the cartoon character is aimed at young people. Joe's face has features of a scrotum and other private parts and provides subliminal sexual appeal. Yes, to be cool. Can you believe that? Marlboro Man, two of the models who portrayed that rugged cowboy eventually died of lung cancer. Cool cigarettes, used a cartoon penguin as an advertisement mascot, and also Virginia Slims, thin, sophisticated, independent women. So, guess who smokes them? You know, why do other people smoke? They smoke to try to lose weight, to calm their nerves, Uh, kind of air freshener when using the toilet, you know? Tobacco companies have encouraged habitual use of alcohol by including coupons such as uh, like Camel Cash that can be collected and redeemed uh, for merchandise. So, you know, when we look at the smoking habit, we have to look at the health issues involved in it and why do people smoke. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to finish up on smoking and then we'll move into diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs>
0: Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, We're talking about living a suicidal lifestyle. At this point, we're talking about smoking. You know, if you've been smoking for a while and and you've uh, matured, now you know that smoking has not made you smarter, cooler, or sexier. It has not helped you achieve your goals. And it is a huge compromise on the person to have to be with you if you are a smoker. Um, it is very difficult for that person to exist in your smoking world. If they don't like the smoke, if they don't like the smell, it, it can be a big battle in a relationship. It, it can actually cause divorce in some people's lives because they just are so sick of dealing with the cigarette and living their life around the cigarette, making all of their decisions based on smoking. And it it oftentimes becomes a person because it's part of their self-image at this point. And there's also subconscious triggers for it. Um, You know, it's it's basically if you think about like the morning coffee, bang, there's going to be a cigarette there sometimes. You know, there's always the desire to smoke. If you smell smoke, then you're going to want to smoke. And so people that stop smoking and then they get in an environment where somebody is a smoker, guess what? They're triggering that person to want to smoke again. It's just unbelievable how our addictions play out with us. You know, there, there's, some re- there's several reasons why people smoke. To, to reduce the feeling of anxiety or nervousness. To calm down when we're upset or angry. To socialize with other smokers, feeling restless, relaxation, take a break from work, uh, having coffee or tea, having a drink with friends, to satisfy an urge to smoke. I have, you know, after a meal, people want to smoke. After sex, people want to smoke. You know, uh, passing the time while waiting for someone, driving in the car, feeling depressed. When drinking beer, wine, or liquor, the people will smoke. To celebrate something, they will smoke. Or to think about a difficult problem, they pull a cigarette out to make themselves feel more intelligent. You know, there's some things to consider to quit smoking. And uh, smoking is extremely dangerous to to your health, and it ruins your health. You know, uh, you may have lost your sense of smell. It also may uh, bother you that you're dependent on cigarettes and it also gives you bad breath and it's stinky and it frequently uh, people that smoke have sore throats. They have a lower um, white blood cell count so they get sicker more often. They would have a lot more energy if they didn't smoke and they uh, have this, you know, you know, people fear that they're going to gain weight. Also, there's cosmetic issues. It, it Number one, it leaves a really bad smell. Uh, it has nicotine stains on people's fingers. They get wrinkles from smoking. You can always, and, and also their teeth are uh, discolored for smoking. You can also tell, you know, uh, s- s- smoker voice. You know, a lot of people, you can tell, especially in women, how they have smoker voice. You know, they have that uh, lack of lung capacity. And so basically their voice gets kind of grovelly. And uh, they get that voice. Here's some social issues that, that come about from smoking. Losing contact with all the non-smoking friends. Uh, that the secondhand smoke is dangerous for anybody, including your children. And cigarette uh, smoke bothers other people. You know. And also, there's a lot of littering involved in smoking. People just drop their cigarettes where left and right. And also, there's financial issues. Too much money spent on cigarettes. A life of insurance premiums have in, uh, increased. Insurance nowadays is asking you if you smoke and if you do, you have to pay a higher insurance rate. Burning holes in your clothing and also uh, the possibility that if you smoke in bed, you may start a fire and kill yourself. You know, it is amazing that people do this to their, in this day and age that we live in, but they do. They certainly do. Now, you know, diabetes is an increasingly common disease. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 20.9 million Americans were living with diabetes, and this is a statistic that is six years old, 2011. That's up from 5.6 million in 1980, and an estimated 7 million more from 2011 will have diabetes, That but may not have been diagnosed. So what I'm trying to say is, of the 20.9 million in 2011, there's another 7 million people that may not have been diagnosed for diabetes. But it goes hand in hand with an increase in obesity and inactivity. You know, the major risk factors of developing type 2 diabetes is that, inactivity and obesity. You know, and what does diabetes do? Well, people will lose limbs. People die from diabetes. You have to manage it every single day of your life, and it's caused. Number one, the type two is caused by a bad lifestyle, a suicidal lifestyle. You know, type one diabetes or insulin dependent diabetes is usually diagnosed in children and young adults. There are few known risk factors, though the family history may have played a role. But type two insulin or or resistant diabetes is the most often diagnosed in adults. Though the rate of type two And youth is on the rise. Lots of kids are way overweight. I've seen little babies that are way overweight. I've seen little, little, little kids, two, two, three years old, are just gigantic. And it's amazing to me that people will allow their children to do that. You know, obesity, inactivity, family history, poor diet are risk factors for type 2 diabetes. You can control if you get type 2. Diabetes and stress. Stress has been associated with the the risk of uh, diabetes. We hear this over and over and over, stress, 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 stress. All of these suicidal lifestyles are coping skills with stress. When you're under stress, your body signals its nervous system. The pituitary gland produces a, 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 an infrarine and a, a cortisol, and it's known as the stress hormone. So when cortisol is released, the liver produces more glucose, blood sugar, and, and people are already diabetic and at risk for, for diabetes that that blood sugar can be dangerous to your health so studies show that if you learn how to manage your stress you can better control your sugar levels so regulating stress is an important component of treating diabetes so seeing uh, you know a psychologist about diabetes or a therapist many patients find it challenging to make the lifestyle changes necessary to stay healthy including changing their diet and managing their insulin and managing uh, how they manage the diabetes, so making a healthy lifestyle choices is very important for people with type two diabetes. You know, psychologists can help patients change their behaviors to gradually improve eating habits, activity levels, and their overall outlook. They can also help patients learn effective strategies to earn their uh, regularly test blood glucose, clo- uh, blood glucose, and uh, a lot, of, and taking their medications and. Uh, complete other diabetes self-managed activities. So, often people newly diagnosed with diabetes, having trouble accepting the diagnosis, especially if they feel healthy, they're not experiencing any symptoms of the disease. And so, a psychologist can help people address the emotional reactions such as disbelief, guilt, anxiety, and learn how to accept their condition and how to manage it and how to maybe manage their way out of it. So, you know, if you don't treat your diabetes well, the blood sugar level is likely to soar This causes a host of problems. And by the way, diabetes has a genetic factor to it. So, we have to understand our children are likely to get diabetes and if they see you not managing it, guess what they're not going to do in their lifetime? They're not going to manage it either. You know, it causes a host of problems. An uncontrolled blood sugar level gives way to a stroke that might even result in death. If you don't cure your blood sugar, it may also prove fatal for your existence. You know, if, if... Uh, uh, gastational diabetes is not cured, it might lead to complications, um, you know, which may cost your life. You know, chronic uh, dental diseases are also the outcome of untreated diabetes. You know, untreated uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, non-profiling, proliferating uh, retinopathy develops, which results in blindness. And untreated diabetes gives way to kidney failure. In type 1 diabetes as well as type 2, cardiovascular disorders leading to heart failure are also a high probability if the diabetes is not being treated and if you're not doing what you need to do to manage it. You know what? It may even result in uh, nerve cells. Uh, sexual dysfunction, kidney dysfunction, if the nerves don't function well, all the involuntary functions are likely to be affected. Foot problems, including uh, amputations, are another outcome. Foot losses, it's sent, it, you know, the foot loses its senses and scars and damage to the feet remain unnoticed. Blood circulation gets too afflicted and to sum up, not treating diabetes is inviting death. So people who uh, may be given diabetes education and diabetes care tips also know that they remain aware of dangerous consequences, but a lot of people are delusional and they want to not face their problems. And so the deal is, if you don't like conflict, you're probably not going to manage your life very well. Life is full of conflict, and we have to learn how to negotiate conflict, and that goes back to emotional intelligence. A lot of people see emotions as a Broadway production, but they're not. They're simple things, and we do have thoughts, and we do have feelings, but the best thing we could do is learn how to express our emotions. How do you do that? Well, you express it flat and straight. Flat and straight. You know, the other day you made me very angry. You told me this, 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 and I was very disappointed that you didn't uh, come to me and and express yourself earlier. You know, that's it. It's very simple. It's very simple to manage emotions. You just express them. You don't have to do a Broadway production. You don't have to throw your arms and legs in the air. And you don't have to be afraid of it. You know, that's how we uh, basically set boundaries. Okay, so getting healthy. Consider the following steps that can be helpful in changing unhealthy habits and managing your thoughts and behaviors. Get the facts. You have to learn about diabetes and understanding your specific diagnosis will help you make informed decisions and your condition. So any kind of disease that you may be challenged by because you've created it through your lifestyle, whether it's through smoking, alcohol, you know, which would cause uh, – alcohol would cause liver dysfunction – you know, you have to get to it. You have to get to it. So prior to a visit to your physician or healthcare provider, consider making a list of questions or concerns where you can address that with the medical provider. But here's the deal. Anybody who lives a suicidal lifestyle, they have to make a decision to not do it. You know, a lot of people are lazy. And they will do the easiest thing rather than the hardest thing. And what we have to think about is we have to do hard things too in this life to feel like a substantial human being. We can't just sit around and make our life go by without doing anything. You know, it's terrible to have to exist with someone who will not manage their suicidal lifestyle. The other thing is to getting healthy is accept your feelings. You know, people acknowledge their negative feelings about bad health they're better at caring for themselves and keeping themselves healthy and doing the things they need to do by eating right. By uh, you know, eating right is so simple. You know, we have so many options out there as far as taking care of ourselves. You can get rid of glucose. Very simple. There's lots of gl- uh, gluten free stuff out there that's actually very very good to eat. I, I in my house we we eat gluten free. The other thing is is keeping sugars down. Keeping sugars down is huge. That's going to put weight on your body. Sugars put weight on the body. Alcohol puts weight on the body because it has a lot of wheat and it has a lot of sugar in it. And so those things are going to make you slip. You know, plus if you're drinking or on drugs, you're not even knowing what you're eating. You're not managing anything. The other thing is we have to accept that we have a problem. So we have to avoid negative thoughts and feelings about how it makes us feel and we take the challenge on to change. Change is what life is and have faith in yourself. You can change and if you need help, go get help. If you can't do the obesity yourself, go get a gastric sleeve or something like that. Do it because you do not want yourself to go down that road and die. What is your life worth? And it's important to to maintain that. You also want to maintain a balanced perspective. Don't allow diabetes to become your main focus. The disease doesn't have to define you. You're the same person. And and this isn't just diabetes. But, you know, any disease that derives, it is not who you are. It is just a diagnosis. So you want to continue to do things you enjoy and live well with the disease and then manage it. Manage it. That is the best thing you can possibly do. Okay, you also want to be realistic. Set rules that are too rigid are more likely to be broken. So you want to sm- set small goals that are easily attainable like walking for 10 minutes a day or slowly building up to 30 minutes or you know, more over several weeks to increase your exercise. You also want to try new things. You know, it's it, significant changes to lifestyle force you to do significantly different things like new recipes. And you also want to develop a support network of people that are also doing what you're doing. All right, that's our show. And I'm not trying to lecture people, but boy, you know, walking around in this world, we see a lot of people living in a suicidal lifestyle and passing it on to their children. Our next show is The Power of Positive Communication. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGBMFT at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember... We get heavier as we get older because our brains fill up with intelligence. And once the brain is full, it fills up the rest of us. Also, drinking alcohol before pregnancy can cause pregnancy. Thanks for listening.
0: That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.